as I was getting started is I thought if I worked harder and I learned more and knew more than other people, I could get a, a leg up because I was not extroverted and I was not a salesperson. I didn't push product and those sorts of things. But the other thing that was working in my favor was for whatever reason, and this has been like this my entire life, people have confided in me to a level that you can't believe. And usually very quickly after meeting me. And so I think that being a trusted confidant paired with technical expertise was really, really powerful and overcame the norm, which was you have to sell, you know, smile and dial, dial for dollars, all those sorts of things. Like if you can be a really good person and be a connector and be a human first and listen and get to know people at a really deep level and then say, oh, by the way, yeah, I can do all those things that you need. That's a really powerful thing. Hey, my name is Stacey Havener. I'm obsessed with startups, stories, and sales. Storytelling has fueled my success as a female founder in the toughest boys club, Wall Street. I've raised over 8 billion that has led to 30 billion in follow-on assets for investment boutiques. You could say against the odds. Yeah, understatement. I share stories of the people behind the portfolios while teaching you how to use story to shape outcomes. It's real talk here. Money, authenticity, growth, setbacks, sales and marketing are all topics we discuss. Think of this as the capital raising class you wish you had in college, mixed with happy hour. Pull up a seat, grab your notebook, and get ready to be inspired and challenged while you learn. This is the Billion Dollar Backstory Podcast. If I told you that I have a wicked smart friend with a JD and an MBA who took a $3.7 billion wealth management firm to $7.5 billion in seven years, all through organic growth, if I told you that friend hosts an amazing podcast interviewing couples about their money journeys, including sharing his own journey with his wife. If I told you he speaks at huge industry events and even has his face plastered on billboards. If I told you all of that, would you believe me if I also told you he is an introvert? Today's guest is Adam Cox, a technical expert turned heartfelt storyteller who has built a multi-billion dollar business as the face of a private wealth management arm within a 150-year-old community bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the same bank he went to as a child. If you've ever felt like you want to lean into your authenticity, but you are afraid, or you can't, or you're introverted, or it won't work, this is the podcast for you. Grab your popcorn and a notebook. It's time to get real with my friend, Adam Cox. I'm smiling. I feel like I'm cheese grinning. Am I cheese grinning right now? Because I kind of feel like I have the biggest smile on my face. This is such a joy for me because Adam and I have been friends from afar, LinkedIn, and we're both podcast hosts. And now you're in the studio with me. Thank you so much for being here, Adam. Yeah, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> Great. Okay. So I'm really excited to hear your backstory because I've seen, read, heard little snippets of it here and there, 
Okay. But can you kind of take us through your journey? Um, I'm going to have you start wherever you want to start it. Like, did you always know you wanted to work in a bank? Mm. And also, did you always know you wanted to be a podcast host? Short answer is no. <laughs> no to On both. both fronts. No to both. No to both. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No to how both. How did this happen? That's a great question. So how did this happen? I went to business school for undergrad, then went to law school, and then went and got my MBA. And I finished my MBA 2008, and I had every intention of being a distressed debt investment banker. Whoa. And if you recall 2008, which yeah. I think we all do in this profession, there was plenty of distress, not a lot of jobs. So mm. I did have one phone interview, but it took place at 11 p.m. after the guy got off work on, on his way to the gym. And I thought, eh, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> so... <laughs> I pivoted. Okay. I actually had two offers coming out of school, both very different. One was a really cool opportunity to be a negotiator for a large company. And I thought, well, that seems pretty sweet. Mm. The other was lesser paid and less glamorous, which was to settle estates for high net worth families as part of a large bank. So I did not intend to do that. But one night I had a dream and I remembered being in a bank as a kid, actually the bank I work in today. No. And when I woke up, yeah, I know. It sounds like I'm making it up, but totally true. When I woke up, I was like, I got to be in banking. So I took the other job uh -huh. and flash forward, I got to do something that I really love to do, which will impact our conversation today, which was I got to learn a lot about people and emotions and money and loss and all of it. And uh, I had a blast doing it. That's so cool. Can we unpack it a little bit? Because so you, yeah. did you always know you wanted to be in distressed debt? Like when you were a kid, were you like, this is, I'm going to be in distressed debt. I'm, I'm actually going to be a distressed debt investment banker, mom, dad. Yeah. Yep. I mentioned it at kindergarten, my graduation. <laughs> yeah. All the other kids want to be firefighters. I was going to be distressed debt investment, investment banking. Banker. No, I think where it came from was I love finance. I love the legal side of it. And I have always really, really enjoyed taking bad situations and helping them make them better. Ooh, what a good and so statement. For me, like that brought together a whole lot of things that were just total check marks for me. It's like, there's something that has gone wrong. Maybe it's fixable, maybe it's not, but I wanna be part of a team that figures it out. But the opportunity, thankfully, I guess, was taken away in the, the Great Recession. But you know what's interesting about that? Don't you feel like those threads show up no matter where you land? So like now where you sit, do you feel like you still have this opportunity to turn things around? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Talk about it. So yeah, I mean, I had a couple other stops along my journey and then had this opportunity to come move back to Sioux Falls. I was living up in Minneapolis at the time and Basically, what happened was I was given an opportunity to join the trust department here at the First National Bank in Sioux Falls, and I was apprehensive to take the role for a couple of reasons, but mostly because from the outside looking in, I would be joining a community bank in Sioux Falls where I grew up, which I loved, but I was so used to climbing the ladder professionally mm. in a big city, and I was kind of in that grind and in that mindset, and I was like, I don't know that I'm ready to, to give that up. But then I started looking at the opportunity more and the more I learned about it, the more I thought there's a lot of opportunity here. Now, getting back to my desire to take things that maybe aren't optimized and turn them around or do something different. What I saw here at the bank was this incredibly successful 
department. However, just given the winds of change in financial services, I thought if they don't do something, they probably have 15 years and it's unprofitable. Mm. And five more years from that, the bank will be made, making a very tough decision of what to do with this division. I think I was wrong in that. I think they had seven or eight years before they were unprofitable because of the last few years and the cost of talent and the cost of systems and tech and all those sorts of things. So it was going the other direction pretty quickly. The challenge for me was convincing a group of individuals that were highly talented and really successful to change almost everything mm. and to go a different direction. And rightfully so, they were highly skeptical of me and all the changes I wanted to implement. But thankfully, I found some true believers here. And together, we've done some really, really incredible things. And I, I often say the first few years, we did the hard work, and now we get to do the fun work. I love that. And it's so interesting. Like, the more I learn about you and and kind of hear your story and see how that shows up, you know, again, those threads, you think they're going to take you somewhere, they end up taking you somewhere else, but they're still there. And this whole oh, yeah. turnaround mindset, like if you're doing distressed debt and restructurings and workouts and all this stuff, I mean, it's just amazing that you were able to apply that passion in a different way and in a positive way. So that explains why you're sitting at the bank, but yep. how did you end up being a podcast host? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I ask myself that often. Yeah, because it doesn't really make much sense on the outside of it. I'm a little bit more on the technical side of things. That was my training. Mm -hmm. That's my entry into this business and I'm introverted. And so those two things together don't naturally scream podcast host. But in 2000, late 2018, early 2019, I was sitting on my couch and I was watching TV and I saw this commercial from, I'm sure a very well-intentioned insurance company who was talking to, they were actors, but young parents asking them with new holding new babies and mm -hmm. all the things, all the emotions, asking them what's more important saving for your retirement or saving for your kids' college. And of course, on cue, they all said saving for our kids' college. Right. And so I'm sitting there on a couch by myself, like yelling at the TV, like, no. <laughs> no, you can't. That's Wrong answer. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so I was just like inspired, mad, all of it. And I thought, you know what? Even if it's on a really small scale, I want to get different information out in the world. And so I started writing. It's something I really love to do is to write. But then I found podcasts and I thought, well, this is a really effective medium. And, you know, going back a little bit further, when I was in Minneapolis doing very technical things, one of the things I really enjoyed doing was teaching other professionals how to handle really complex things and explain them in a easy to understand and fun way. So podcasting for me kind of allowed me to get back in that mindset and do that again. So that was a lot of fun with the idea of it, the practical side of things. I paid for a producer to produce a year's worth of episodes, and I didn't do anything for a year <laughs> because I was too afraid to start. And yeah. I knew once you start down the path, you can't stop. Yeah. Although everybody does. Like everybody does three episodes. Pod and they're fade, done. yeah. 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 Very real. Yep. Very real. And I knew it was going to be a bunch of work. And I think the other thing, too, was if you look at my original topics, they were really uninspired. Yeah. They were really technical things. <laughs> and it's like, I'm looking at this list. I'm like, I don't even want to yeah. listen to this. Like, Why I don't even want to record it. Yeah. Yeah. But I started 
And I recorded a few episodes. It was actually my wife was like, you know, maybe you could loosen up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, cool. Well, why don't you join the show? And why don't we tell our money story? No way. Yeah. And so thankfully she did. And that really, I mean, I have kind of three aha moments Mm -hmm. that have happened in the last few years that have probably been the most impactful of my professional career. And it's weird they've happened in succession like this. But the first was starting the show. And, but more than that, it was Diane and I telling our story. You know, she rightfully called me out on the quality of the podcast because I was reading the episodes and I was so afraid to make a mistake and, and just let loose. She's like, you could do better. And so I was like, fine. All right. Join the show. Let's talk about our money story. Because I think that, and you see it a lot in our industry. And I think we'll talk about this too with people on our side of the table, but people just don't talk Mm -mm. about money. And I think that does such a giant disservice to not only our industry, but the people that we serve. And so I just was kind of like, all right, let's tell our story. Let's get that out in the world and let's see if that resonates with people and maybe it'll help somebody. And what has happened with the show and our business since that moment has been truly transformative. So like I will go to a restaurant or I'll go to a grocery store and people will stop me. Strangers, maybe I know them, maybe I don't. And they'll say, hey, I just want to tell you about the show and what an impact X, Y, or Z story had on me. And we had a very similar thing happen to us. And, and, or you never guess what my spouse did with money and how we're fixing that. And so it has started this conversation that has been just so satisfying. And so those are my favorite episodes to do are the ones where we tell people stories and the reaction that we get and the people that come up to us and say, this is just incredible stuff. And so my belief is personal finance is not a math problem that needs to be solved. It's an emotion thing. It's a history thing. It's all the other stuff that happens between our ears and with our spouses and and our parents and all the things. And so we're talking about those, which is great. The second aha moment was I finally defined my personal mission statement. And my mission is to change the way wealth management services are delivered. And so knowing that about myself, it has caused me to make room for things that I didn't make room for before and push out things that I needed to push out so I can help fulfill my mission and surround myself with people that can help me do that. Are you an investment boutique looking to grow your business and need a little help? If you feel like you're fighting for the spotlight and well, still stuck in the shadows of the bigs, join us in the Boutique Investment Collective, Havener's new membership community dedicated to the specialist in the investment industry. In the collective, we'll guide you through the billion-dollar blueprint we've used to help boutiques add over $30 billion in AUM. You'll refine your story, focus on your ideal target market, and practice your pitch. You'll rethink your marketing materials, rewrite your emails, and refresh your differentiators. We'll even help you step up your LinkedIn game and give your profile a makeover. You want to grow your biz, we've got your back. Learn more about the collective, the curriculum, and the amazing coaches who will help you on your journey. Visit havenercapital.com slash collective. High five. Hope to see you in a coaching session soon. So what does that mean? When you say change how it's delivered, push things out and let make room, what are you pushing away and what are you making room for? So I'm pushing away being an expert in Mm -hmm. personal finance, Mm -hmm. frankly. I mean, I think about all the stuff that I was trained to know, all the things I used to do. I don't remember any of them. I mean, 
I still know a lot, but I don't know stuff to the same level mm -hmm. that I used to. And because I just can't spend time on that stuff anymore. I'm not reading trust documents anymore. I'm not, I'm just not doing that stuff. I'm really spending my time trying to find the best people to fill out our team, to help me with this mission, the best products and services and changing the way we think about service. I think for a long time, people in our industry have felt the only way that we can be successful is if we are technicians and we're the smartest people and we have the best product and all those sorts of things. I think anymore that's table stakes. Totally. I think what people want is someone in their corner mm -hmm. and someone that can ask them the question that they maybe were too afraid to ask you to anticipate needs, to know more about them, to have better conversations. I think if we in industry do that, we'll be in a much better place than we've ever been. And that's what we're doing. So now I spend my time working and focusing on those things versus being the subject matter expert. Gosh, I love that. I mean, the second aha moment is so good. And I've already, like, I still have things I want to talk about in the first aha moment. But in some ways, they're very related in my mind. Yep. Because, you know, you've said this to me, the idea that people are not buying a product or service or a fund or a strategy. They're hiring a human. And yep. Everything you've said here, the podcast stories that you love recording about couples talking about their money, you know, issues and mission, et cetera. And the second aha about changing how wealth management is delivered, less about technicals, more about human interaction. They're yes. both so related to me. And that's mm -hmm. missing in so many pockets of the investment industry and the wealth industry. Like it's just missing. And I think yeah. it makes sense on one level. You alluded to it. You get a bunch of smart people who are very comfortable living up here in their mind. And they forget that so many things, including all decisions, start in the heart. Yep. So that's got to be a crazy journey for you to like, especially as an introvert, to shake off some of this. Like introverts feel comfortable when we can... I don't want to say hide, but when we can sort of hide behind mm -hmm. our expertise, like that's what we lead with. It's yep. not really us. It's our expertise. And so how yep. has that been for you, that journey on authenticity? Yeah, it's been interesting. I kind of had two things colliding. So the one I've talked about, which was being a technician, and that really helped mm -hmm. me in my career as I was getting started is I thought if I worked harder and I learned more and knew more than other people, I could get a, a leg up because I was not extrovert and I was not a salesperson. I didn't push product and those sorts of things. But the other thing that was working in my favor was for whatever reason, and this has been like this my entire life, people have confided in me to a level that you can't mm. believe. And usually very quickly after meeting me. And so I think that being a trusted confidant paired with technical expertise was really, really powerful and overcame the norm, which was you have to sell, mm -hmm. you know, smile and dial, dial for dollars, all those sorts of things. Like if you can be a really good person and be a connector and be a human first and listen and get to know people at a really deep level and then say, oh, by the way, yeah, I can do all those things that you need. That's a really powerful thing. Definitely. And it kind of led me to my third aha, which is why I think you and I mm. are friends, which is the power of yeah. story. 
I did a little test. And part of it was inspired by some of the content you put out there. So thank you for this. Oh, gosh. I can't wait to hear the test. Yeah. So I had a very low, I don't know, it was it was a, a non-threatening prospect meeting, Okay, I would say. And I thought, I'm going to try something different. Yeah. Rather than lead with, well, here's why we're better. You know, we're a fiduciary. Do you know what that <laughs> is? And all those sorts of things, right? Rather than hit people with that, I said, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to say why I'm so passionate about this business and what I'm trying to build. Mm. And I'm just going to see where that lands. And so that's the story that I led with. Say, here's why I'm in this business. Here's why I love this business. Here's where I think it's going. And here's how we're going to get there first. And here's what my team and I are building. Mm. And without even ever even asking anything, the guy was like, yeah. I'm in. I'm in Amazing. for that. Were you like, what? What just happened? I was like, just like, this is it. Yeah. Right? People buy from people. Mm -hmm. People want to opt in to who you are and what you believe. We didn't talk about fees. We didn't talk about services. We didn't talk about any of it. They're just like, I believe in what you're building and I want to be part of it. A hundred percent. I mean- And that changed everything. Can we just pause and let everybody like get your notebook and write it down, my friends, <laughs> because that is it. And it's not yeah. that they don't- So it's so interesting. I love that you tested it because that I'm sure took a lot of courage. What's crazy is it doesn't mean that that person you met with doesn't care about fees or services or all those things because they're right. going to get there. You know, when you have to fill out all the paperwork and do all this stuff, like that's going to come yeah. out. But their heart was bought in. The rest of it is just rationalizing the details. Yes. And so, you know, it's crazy. I love so much of what you're saying and it's awesome to see it and hear about it like actually in practice. Mm. Someone said to me recently in one of my story sessions with them, it was the founder, and they were asking like, how did you figure out that this worked? And it was kind of like what you said. It's like, well, just by doing it, and then you you sort of start figuring out like, well, what do I keep doing that's working? I don't know. And then he said to me, but it's so simple. Like telling <laughs> stories is so simple. So once you figured out that was it, were you just like, are you kidding me? And I thought, I mean, I was, I was kind of like, yeah, but it's simple, but not easy. And that's yeah. the challenge. It's a huge challenge. And I don't know that I could have done it at year three in my career. No. Because something happens, you know, as you go further in your career, you gain more confidence, you get to be more comfortable with who you are mm -hmm. and what you're about. I'm not a big, so I'm about to turn 42. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big, what does it all mean kind of person. Yeah. I'm more of a one step in front of the other, yeah. let's keep going. But as I've gotten further into my career, I've just become more comfortable in my own skin and more passionate about my vision. And I think that has just infused everything that I do. And so now I am totally comfortable saying, yes, we do all this stuff, but here's what I think you should know about us first. Yeah. And then spending most of the time listening and just getting to know a person on their level. And I have found by listening and actually really listening, mm -hmm. not waiting to speak, not waiting to get your talking points in, but really listening. Some of my best prospect meetings are meetings where I say like three or four sentences. You know what's crazy about that? I so relate to that as an introvert because mm -hmm. I'm actually yeah. barely introverted, which people can't believe. Yep. But what I think is interesting about that as a salesperson, 
okay? And I know you don't identify with that. Introverts typically are more comfortable asking questions than they are sort of offering up statements, if you will. And so what happens in a very subconscious way is if you are introverted and you're in sales and any kind of prospect meeting, you are going to default to asking questions more than you are to pitching, air quotes. And that is actually what works, but you don't do it because you think it works. You do it because that's just how you live your life. And I think that's why people feel, one of the reasons why people feel so comfortable with you is because you're not talking at them. You're letting them sort of be the hero and you're giving them the space to share and they start to feel comfortable and then they share more and they can't really understand why they're sharing it. And (laughs) I get that. I totally do. Like, it's really natural. Yeah. And you know what? People don't fire their friends Mm -mm. oftentimes. And the clients that I work with I have really deep relationships with, and they let me know if their kid's struggling with cancer or they're having marital issues or substance abuse stuff in their family, really deep stuff. And we don't really talk about business that much because they just trust me and they trust the team that I'm going to have working with them. And they just assume we're going to know the technical stuff and we can pull the levers and push the buttons, which we, we certainly can't. It's just so refreshing. Yeah, but if you have that level of intimacy with your clients and the people you work with, business and doing this job is so much more fulfilling than trying to justify why you underperformed a benchmark by 10 basis points last year. So fascinating. I mean, every once in a while, because we're friends on LinkedIn, so we follow each other's journeys there. And every once in a while, I'll have some new person that like stumbles across my work or whatever you call it, content. And they'll say something like, this just happened to me this week. They'll say something like, oh, stories are a dime a dozen. What really matters is results. And i take a deep breath before I respond because I get it. But my response is always something around what you just said, which is actually people that are good at their job, not great, good, are a dime a dozen. Yeah. And if you think that you're going to win a client because you outperformed by, you know, 25 basis points, five basis points, two basis points, whatever, you're wrong. That is not why someone hires you. It is not. And yet that is the pervasive narrative that almost every fund manager is taught. I don't know if advisors are taught that same message just like through industry constructs that like, hey, you're only good as your last basis point out about performance, but it's BS. Yeah, it is total BS. And I think that it's a coping mechanism that we all use. And it's a place where we hide. You know, you buy the expensive suit, you have a good haircut, you say all the right things, and you follow the script and you get business and you go sell and you, you rinse and repeat and all those sorts of things. But I find that to be a little more shallow than where I want to live yeah. my life. But it took me a little while to get there. But I think I got there probably faster than most just because, again, that introversion and just that ability to connect with people just got me there sooner. And I thought, you know what? 
We're going to all have stressful times. I just don't want to be stressed out about the minutia mm -hmm. of this business. I want to be stressed about real yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because there's enough of that to be stressed totally. about. It's funny as I'm listening to you and thinking about, you know, putting myself in your shoes and thinking about what you're building at the bank and, you know, your podcast and those stories you told about people recognizing you. And I'm sure you never thought this would be your path, but you're doing something really <laughs> cool here that you haven't really owned yet. I'm going to see if you realize this, but you- Is this my pep Yeah, talk? kind of. I mean, you right. are putting a face and a heart and a soul on your business. You are. And that is crazy at a bank, A. But B, like that's really tough to do from just a personal perspective, especially if you're an introvert. So like the fact that people come up to you and say, hey, the podcast, and they they talk about the stories, like they are associating you and kind of how you're building this brand with the bank. And that is the most powerful thing. And I think it's something that people underestimate here because yes, your business has a brand and you need it. It's important, super important. And the team and all of those things. But you also greatly benefit from somebody being brave enough to step forward and say, I will embody these values. I will show people what it looks like. I will put myself out there. And you're doing that really well. Thank you. Yeah. That's very kind of you to say. Do you realize you're doing it? I do. Okay. Well, I have more recently just because as the show's gotten bigger and the impact has been more mm -hmm. felt, I guess, you know, for the first couple of years, I felt like I was putting content out in the world and, you know, my mom listened, <laughs> yeah. um, didn't understand, but she listened and, you know, family and friends. And, but then as it's gotten bigger and I have become more comfortable asking really tough mm. questions. And so leaning into that. And now I think people expect yeah. that from me and which is, you know, talk about managing expectations. And so now people are coming to the show and saying, hey, I have a story <gasps> oh, I love and that. I'm willing to share it because other yeah. people have shared it as well. So if you look at my upcoming show list, there's a lot more couples mm -hmm. on there or individuals than there are technical experts. And that's changed that's over the past fabulous. couple of years. And I love it. I do too. But people need to, they probably also need to hear, like if they're listening to this and saying, oh, cute, you have a <laughs> podcast and you know, all those sorts of things. What does that mean from yeah. a business perspective? I will tell you, we have had back to back to back record years. Our financial results look like a hockey stick. And it's not all because of the content that we produce. I'm not gonna sit here and say that. A lot of it is we're solving more universal needs than we were before. And we're just nailing the client experience, which grows your firm. But I think by putting yourself out there and humanizing your brand and putting out in the world what you're all about, it's a magnet oh. for other people who believe the same thing. And even if they don't sit down in the chair and say, I'm here because of your podcast, although mm -hmm. some have, and that more than pays for the show. But it just creates this drumbeat of momentum and people opting in to what you're building. And even if they don't opt in right away, somewhere in the back of their mind, they have heard your content, they have heard your story, and they say, when I have a need, I'm going to contact them. 
Yes. And that has absolutely transformed our business. Now, I will say the flip side of this is it is going to force us to have a different skill set yeah. than we were all trained to have. Because people are hearing the show and they're coming in guns blazing. And they're saying, we can't get on the same page about this <laughs> with money. And, you know, my parents did this and versus the, your parents and you were raised this way. And so now we're saying, okay, now we have to deal with this. Like yeah. we have to be prepared to have this level of conversation, this level of client engagement. And so it's all good stuff, but it's changing our business. And now I tell people every business day. So every day we open our doors we onboard at least one new household. Isn't that amazing? And for a community bank in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to be able to say that, it's absolutely insane. So it, it works. It's so awesome. I love so much of that because I do think it's difficult to measure the impact of something like a podcast or even yeah. LinkedIn. Yep. And, you know, the best way that I've found is to actually ask people Mm -hmm. There's not very like techie API, whatever, you know, stuff going on there, but that's real. Like, how did you hear about us? Have you listened to the podcast? Just so that you can see, you know, if it's involved in the decision making, which of course it's going to be. Yeah. The other thing that your comments brought up for me that I think is super powerful is what you said about, no, it's changing the skill set and maybe the the people that you'll need at the company going forward. Because when you yep. put this message out, it's attracting a certain type of ideal client to you and they may have different needs than the team that you have in place you know, today. Yep, that's right. What's cool about that though, is that the podcast and the LinkedIn and all this stuff you're doing, it doesn't just speak to true fans' clients. It speaks to true fans' teammates. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen that yet, but that was something I did not in think about or intend. But the people who reach out now who want to work here, they are following the content. They are listening to the podcast. And when they come in, they're like, I need to work here. Like, this is where I'm meant to be. And have you found that yet? Like, that's big. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it attracts clients. It attracts vendors yes. that are like-minded and it attracts teammates. Yeah. And so anytime, thankfully, now that we throw a job posting up there, we get not only very attractive candidates from a technical standpoint, but we get people who have said, and this is for other bank positions too, the, hey, I love the content. I love oh what you guys gosh. are doing. And so even if it's not even on our team, it is having an impact. And I love that. I do too. I love that. Yeah. And does your current team like totally rally around it as well? Like that's something that also really lifts me up. Like when I see the pride on the teammates here today who are like, oh my gosh, like this client mentioned your last post or, you know, they just, they're all with you on the journey. It's a rallying cry. It is. Although I will say, so my team, my direct reports, I've got some absolute savages. <laughs> so they love to give me all the hell. <laughs> Anytime I put myself out there, because they know how uncomfortable it makes me. Oh, of course. And so they just amp oh, it up a little fun. bit. But no, I, I, you know, the rest of the team, for sure, they are really great about passing on the comments and, you know, the feedback that we get on it. And, and so when people good. come in and say, you know, I've been listening to episodes and, you know, for two years and 
haven't had a reason to reach out and I'm reaching out now and and that stuff is awesome. Although I will say my team, the people who report to me, some of them are absolute savages and they just, <laughs> they like to, you know, knock me down whenever they can. So they see my face on like a bus or something and they're just like, you know, they just, it's Wait, ridiculous. is your face seriously on a bus? No, thankfully it's about the only place it's not <laughs> at this point, which is just maddening. Like I'll get a call from my wife or my daughter like, oh, I just saw you on a billboard. I'm like, sweet. You are the only other person I've ever talked to that's been on a billboard. Really? Yes. I mean, I don't ask people, so I guess I shouldn't say that. It's never yeah. come up in combo. I was on a billboard once when I was in college, <laughs> and it was one of the most humbling experiences I've ever gone through in a very, like, I know that might sound strange, yeah. but they put me on a billboard for the college, and I had to pass it on my way to <laughs> class. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a very weird thing, especially, totally and we're weird. both introverts. How did yeah. that happen to us? I don't know. It's weird. Whatever. I don't know what this these college kids now are getting name, image, and likeness money. I don't know. I wonder where mine is. <laughs> where are you serious? Where's mine? You know what I mean? <laughs> now there's ads playing in my podcast episodes. It's like, where's the money? You know? <laughs> where's my Viore what sponsorship? Am I doing wrong yeah. Here? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. Hey, can I ask you? This is a question for our listeners yeah. that I wanted to ask you. And it came up with one of our clients literally yesterday. If people want to baby step, which we appreciate as introverts, yeah. into the world of podcasting, and maybe they don't want to host their own show, but they want to be a guest. So this came up with a client this week, actually, who wants to start, you know, being a guest on podcasts. Okay. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have Adam on. I'm going to ask him, like you've interviewed a ton of people. What advice would you have for somebody? Now, let me give you a little bit of a persona here. We're talking like a fund manager who's maybe like really comfortable talking about markets and charts and data and stats. What advice would you give them if they wanted to start podcasting? Like hmm. being a guest, not being a, a guest. That's a really good question. I would say first thing, you have to care. Mm. There's a lot of guests that will come on and be like, all right, what are we talking about? And you know, as a host, like the anxiety level goes, whew, <laughs> right? Because it's not, now I feel like I'm on stage, I have to perform, <laughs> yeah. and you really don't care. So I think it starts with caring. Part of that is knowing who the audience is of the show that you're going to be on and speaking mm. to that group of people. So I don't think it does any good, this conversation, for instance, I don't think it would do any good for me to talk about things that your audience is not going to find benefit in. Like, I don't right. need to hear myself talk. Like, that's the last thing I want to hear on a Friday, right? I just, I don't need it. So as a guest, I think it's important to find out the what makes the audience who they are and what they might want to hear. And now it's okay for you to bring different perspectives or to challenge yeah. the norm for the show, but just go in knowing that you're going to do that and have that dialogue with the person hosting you. So it feels like it's a co-created story. Yeah. I think that's my favorite guests are the ones that are really vested in what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to build and want to add to that. I love that. What great advice. Fabulous. Okay, so I had a question that I wanted to ask to take us into my last little Proust questionnaire thing, okay. which was about what has surprised you on your journey. But then you shared your three aha moments. Yeah. So now I'm kind of like, is there more? 
Like, do you have something that's really okay? Then there is I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. There is more. And so this is Adam's going to be real. Like, yeah, I'm here for it. The thing that surprised me most on this journey was how difficult it was. Mm. So I mentioned earlier, I joined a highly successful division in a bank. And I had very different ideas of what the future of that division should be. And so rightfully so, I had a lot of people who knew I was about to move their cheese. And they were very skeptical of me. And I had to kill a division. I had Mm. to sell another one off. And there were times on this journey that I didn't think I could do it. I took this job when I was 34 years old and I had never managed a single person in my life. Not at a fast food restaurant, not a, any, nowhere. I have always been accountable to just me. And so now all of a sudden I have this team of roughly 40 people looking at me like, I don't like this guy. And I did not know how difficult that was going to be. And there were many, many days during the first four years that I didn't want to come to work. The, I would go to bed crying. I would wake up crying. I couldn't, only by the grace of God and my wife was I able to put one foot in front of the other and get in, in, in there and do the work. And had I known what was in store for me, I doubt I would have taken the job. Wow. But now the flip side of that coin is the thing that makes me most proud professionally is the fact that we did that. I found a group of core believers who were all very young and hungry and wanted to change this business with me. And we set about to do the work and their partnership and their help allowed this all to happen. And now that we're achieving the results that we're achieving, it is so much sweeter because of the work that we put in. But I will tell you, those were some very, very dark days. Mm. And the stuff that we get to do now is so much more fun that we had to go through that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is a very real, very real combo right there. And, you know, I think I can't imagine it actually, because if you've never managed someone, you've certainly never had to fire people. You've certainly never had to sell off divisions and tell people their job's gone. And I can't imagine as a sensitive person how that hits you from a who even am I sort of, you know, deep philosophical level. So it's amazing that you worked through that. I think a lot of founders will relate to it in a different way because you were going into a very established place where you had people who were reporting to you and you had these moments that you described of, you know, going to bed in tears. Mm -hmm. And that's very much sort of a founder feeling where you realize like, I have all these people that are relying on me to, you know, build something and create something. And it's kind of, you feel it all on your shoulders. Yep. And that's heavy. Yep. That's super heavy. Yep. It is. I was talking to somebody earlier this week and she just joined our team and I was describing our philosophy and the way we do things. And she said, I didn't know I was joining another startup. Uh, And I said, you did, but it's a 170 year old startup. Oh, I love that. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good place to transition. That's like amazing. That was great. You have to write that down. <laughs> that was really good. Yeah. That's a good vibe to use. I love that. Okay. So let's take a deep breath. That was a lot. I love that you shared that. I think a lot of people will relate to that, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. So I have a little version of Proust's questionnaire that I like to do at the end. It's okay. not fast. It's not like rapid fire, but they're, you know. How you doing? Keep it moving. Yeah, Yeah. keep it moving. But I want to hear like your comments too. You're not like, you know, a person that's going to sort of belabor the point. Okay. No. So let's start with this one. What book inspires you? Does not have to be a business book, by the way. It is. Oh, okay. That's fine too. Bluish and strategy. Throwback. Really? Yep. I have it on the shelf and I have not read, but I will read. But why do you love it? So- I loved it. It really helped galvanize the work that I wanted to do here. Basically, the premise is, and this is something we felt in our business, is the trust business is a red ocean. I have, there's 120 trust companies mm-hmm. in and around Sioux Falls, South Dakota, along with 44 banks, insurance companies, brokerages, RAs, everybody's here. Red ocean. So the premise is find places where other people aren't and go there. And for me, Mm. confronting what we were as a business and how competitive that was and how tough that was going to be to keep up financially, we had to find new places to go. And that book really, really helped me frame that up. I love that. Okay. I'm totally reading that. That is coming off the bookshelf when we get off of this podcast. All right. Next one. What place inspires you? What's your happy place? You ever heard of Miraval? Yes. Yeah. Health Spa down in Arizona. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I have been down there five times, I think. Oh my gosh. It's a scene. Uh, So she and I are both plant-based and it's this total incredible health spa. You can work out classes all day, sit by the pool, go to the spa. All of it. It's incredible. The people watching is elite. And Diane, my wife, watching. she's even more introverted than I am. So like we barely yeah. speak. We just like watch life down there. Like take it in. Take it That's in. That's so cool. It's incredible. I love that. Yep. Okay, great recommendation. Miraval in, is it Scottsdale? Yep. Uh, well, yeah. no, outside of Tucson. No. Not a sponsor. Oh, outside of Tucson. Okay. Should be a sponsor. Yeah, really. You should call them. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. All right, here we go. This is a fun one. Yep. So... I don't know where, I don't know the names of any stadiums out there, but whatever your big stadium is, um, you're going. This is the the story I'm painting for you. You're going and it's filled with your fans. Mm-hmm. They're fans of the podcast, you, the whole thing. And you're going to come out and you're going to do like a inspiring talk, kind of like we did today. What is your walkout anthem? What song do they play as you take the stage? Mm, that's such a great question. I spend more time in my head inside of a soundtrack than any other human being, I think. My guy over my shoulder here, Chris Stapleton, probably this song, Outlaw State of Mind. The guitar at the beginning of that, oh, just hits you in the soul. So good. That would be it. He's pretty amazing. Oh, so good. Chris Stapleton. I think I read somewhere, is this true, that he actually started his career as a writer, not as a performer? Like he's written songs for other artists. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. 
Although I can't imagine life without him as an artist. No, I can't either. I don't want to live but there. But it's so interesting that he, you know, his journey started with like not his voice, but his words. Yeah. And now it's his voice. Mm. Fascinating. That lot to unpack there. <laughs> okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, I think it would have been distressed debt investment banking. <laughs> I mean, not to go circular on the bit, but <laughs> probably would have been that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It's uh -huh. a very logical answer. Yep. Okay. How about this one then? What profession would you not like to do? I don't know. I, I feel like I'd give the word profession a bad name, but I would not like to be a politician. Mm, why? Oh, I just couldn't do it. Just all the the politicking, the vote gathering, the side room deals and chat. I'm such a straightforward, transparent yeah, dude no. that I just, I got no time for it. Yeah. Zero time for it. Fabulous answer. Okay. And last, but certainly not least, what do you want people to say about you after you've retired or left the industry? You changed the way wealth management services are delivered. Personal mission statement. That's it. What else is there? That's why personal mission statements matter, because they give you that grounding, foundational why. Yeah, it's everything. So good. Mm -hmm. It has been so much fun. I could talk to you forever. Yeah, likewise. If people want to follow along and if they want to listen to your podcast, what are the best ways for them to do that? So you can go on our bank's website. So the First National Bank in Sioux Falls, uh, you can find it there. Probably the easiest way to connect with me and find the show and everything is through LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. just find me on LinkedIn. There's one dude with my face on there with there my go. name. So follow along. I am always looking for comments and suggestions and how to get better. I value being highly coachable. And so if people connect, yeah, reach out, say hello. So good. Yeah. What a joy. Thank you for being here, Adam. I know I have learned a lot. I'm inspired. And I know our guests will be too. Really appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. This was awesome. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The information is not an offer, solicitation, or recommendation of any of the funds, services, or products, or to adopt any investment strategy. Investment values may fluctuate, and past performance is not a guide to future performance. All opinions expressed by guests on the show are solely their own opinion and do not necessarily reflect those at their firm. Manager's appearance on the show does not constitute an endorsement by Stacey Havener or Havener Capital Partners.